If I were to ask you what is the greatest speech that was ever given, what are some answers that you might tell me? What was that one? Gettysburg Address. In the land of Lincoln, four score and many years ago, right? Um, also, I, I remember being in speech class listening to Martin Luther King Jr. I Have a Dream speech. And my goodness, is that not a powerful, powerful message and presentation. Um, I, I was looking at Time's Top Ten, and, and they had Ronald Reagan who stood at the Brandenburg Gate and said to Gorbachev, tear this wall down. Well, for me, movies is always my bag, so I, <laughs> I remember in Armageddon, if you've heard that, with Aerosmith playing in the background, we're going <laughs> to save the world, and uh, that's what I like. Um, but, uh, but we're gathered here, and, and what the fun thing about today is, is you're going to hear one of the most powerful speeches that were ever given. This by a man named Peter on a day called Pentecost, 40 days after Jesus had risen. And we're in this series called Roots, looking at the early Christian church. Let me catch you up to this series. Uh, the goal for the series is this. Um, we are going to see what the church is and what the church does in order to stay on point. You see, last week we talked about that the church is not a place. And so church is not about bricks and mortars. In fact, we were in a cafetorium. I was in a YMCA for a while, a, a middle school. It doesn't matter. The church is people. And then we talked about what we are to be about that the church is primarily about sharing and spreading the message of Jesus. That more than anything, we have not come for uh, clip-on ties and Dunkin' Donuts, even though those are cool. Primarily, we're not here for political reform. Even though as a Christian, you can vote and you can vote based on your beliefs and you can vote however you want. That, that's great. We're not here primarily for social reform, even though I think Christians should be compassionate and, and showing love to many, many people. But primarily, the reason we're here it's for a message. It's a message of hope and comfort and primarily a message that there was a man who died and then rose again, proving he was the conqueror of death and the one true Messiah. That's why we're here. And Peter's going to share the most powerful message. Now, some have said that what Peter shares today is the opening day of the Christian church. Has anyone ever been to the opening day at Cell or Wrigley? And so you know what, what, what that's like, the emotions around it. You're hoping for fireworks. You're hoping for a lot of home runs. You're seeing what's going to happen um, if there's hope for the, the rest of the season. Well, on the opening day of the early Christian church, there is hope. Because what's going to result at the end of this, this, this fireworks of a presentation of the message of Jesus, is 3,000 who are going to be baptized. 3,000 who are now going to trust Jesus uh, as Savior. Do you want to hear the message now? All right, let's get into it. We're going to read the, the, most of that message on that day, and then we're just going to pick it apart and apply it to our lives. So let's get into this message. Opening day of the Christian church, Peter, the one who denied, now confidently proclaiming. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it is impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead nor will you let your Holy One see decay. 
You have made known to me the paths of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out on you what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to heart and said to Peter and the other brothers, other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promises for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And then with many other words he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Oh man, to be on the day of Pentecost. This is a tangent, but you know, I've prayed that Pentecost would happen here at this place over and over. I'm not going to be done praying that. And I'll, I'll trust Jesus, you know, for whatever happens. But how awesome would it be to see 3,000 turn in a day to know Jesus as Savior? I'm not sure Pentecost is going to happen, but I have the same message. And that's what we're going to pick apart and we're going to apply today. And man, it's going to be good. Let's get into it. Anyone remember taking the ACTs? In fact, if you're a high school student and you're approaching it, I feel sorry for you. Um, uh, I, I dread tests. I was a bad test taker. I'll never forget taking the ACTs, though. Um, for me, I had to get a 24. 24 was all that was needed to go to the college I wanted to go to, so 24 was the number. And I was back in Orlando, Florida, um, a bunch, around a bunch of people I didn't know. Um, for me, when I took the test, I, I always had like 10 left unanswered when I got to the end of the time period, and so I had to like scribble in and... It wasn't good. But the end of the story is that I got a 24. I won't tell you the exact number. It wasn't 36. <laughs> um, and I passed. I proved myself. It was kind of a rite of passage. Proved myself I was worthy to go on to the next step to college. I was worthy as a student. All right. Well, I think we know and I know what it's like to be able to prove yourself. We, we prove ourselves on a regular basis. You prove yourself maybe worthy of a date. I prove myself, I ask someone and, and trying to look good and, and maybe charismatic and, and get the date. You prove yourself for a job, whether it be talking or, or, or looking for the promotion. I, I know I have the skills. We prove ourselves regularly over and over. Peter's first part of the message of Jesus is that Jesus proved himself time and time again. Look at verse 22. I love verse 22. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, signs. So for him, it wasn't a test score. He was proving himself by signs and wonders. And I wonder if when Peter was speaking, maybe he could look in the eyes of someone who was there when he fed the 5,000. You remember when there was just a little bit of fish and he kept taking out the fish? You know, you know what I'm talking about. You saw the sign and wonder. 
I wonder if he was talking to the, the eyes of a blind man and, and maybe looked at him and said, you know, remember how he spit in the dirt, he made mud, put it on your eyes, kind of gross, but that's cool. And you could see, you, you were there, right? And I wonder if Lazarus was there. Lazarus who was dead for four days and like, yep, yep, I know, I know. In fact, that's the interesting thing about the, the, the resurrection message. You know, there are some theories uh, that people give out that maybe Jesus didn't die. He swooned, and so when he was in the grave, you know, he just was out of breath, you know, kind of unconscious, but then came back to life. And if you look at the crucifixion and they seal the tomb, it's kind of weird. I'm here to tell you he really did die. And he really did rise. And look at the words of Paul. He proved himself. He said, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of them who are still living. And so he didn't prove his resurrection to one, to two, to 500. In fact, what we have in the Bible, I love this. The Bible's a compilation of letters. It's not just one book with one author. It's a compilation of letters based on eyewitness accounts. The eyewitnesses of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Paul who say, I saw a resurrected Jesus. All come together in this account to say the message of Jesus is proved. And do you know, I'm here 2,000 years later, and, and yeah, I haven't seen a resurrected Jesus. I think I will see him one day. In fact, I think you will too. But I am here to tell you, I think he still proves the message that is being proclaimed. Let me give you just three. Let me give you just three. Um, I have this promise for you. It says, I will build my church, the words of Jesus, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus is saying, I'm going to have my church endure to the end of time. Now, has God kept this promise? We're here. <laughs> in fact, I was at a conference this past week. We did my first web conference, you know, so I plashed it on the screen. It was real pixelated, but my first web conference, kind of cool. And uh, I was listening to a guy who was all about stats, all about stats of the Christian church. And he had some encouraging news. He thinks that the amount of convicted Christians, even in this, in this state, has not gone by. Um, there the, the still remains about 25% of people in this country who are convicted, committed Christians to following Jesus. Now, he also said maybe nominal Christianity is going away, but as far as those who are convicted, committing to following Jesus, that has remained about steady. He also said that true scholars who have done any research don't think that the Christian church will die out in their lifetime. No true scholar who looks at the numbers thinks that that's going to happen. Now, those are helpful, but if you believe the words of Jesus, I say, yeah, it's going to happen. Here's more. What about this? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And so the picture is that if you mowed your lawn this past week, which is a good thing to do, um, we're like that. We're not here very long, but what's going to remain? The word. Now, has he kept this promise? If I go on Amazon and I put in the Bible, my goodness, thousands I go to Barnes and Noble and I want a Bible, there, there it is. And then if you're a historian, what's really cool is that if you search for ancient manuscripts, there are over 2,000 of the New Testament alone that though there are variants, all say the same message. Jesus kept that one. Final one. Their voice has gone out into the earth, their very words to the ends of the world. And so what he's saying is that the message is going to spread. And if you know what's happening in China, if you know what's happening in India, if you know what's happening across the world, you know that this message is getting out there, that Jesus rose from the dead. But you know the most convicting? During the conference that I was learning from, they were saying, you know, <laughs> what we put together as far as a sermon is really just, it's ridiculously awful at times. 
But what God does through these simple words is use almighty power. You see, what's really the most convicting is the Holy Spirit who is there on Pentecost, who is there wherever the word is proclaimed. And the Holy Spirit is what gives conviction to this message and any message of Jesus. If you've ever said amen, if you ever said this makes sense, if you ever think this is true, that is evidence of the Holy Spirit, not a charismatic speaker in your life. That's the power of God's word. I remember back in seminary, they were talking about the power of God's word and they compared it to a lion. Does anyone know, how, how do you defend a lion? You let a lion defend itself. How do we defend God's word? You preach it. And I believe what happens is the Holy Spirit does come. He works in our hearts. He says, amen, this is true. Man, Jesus did rise. The message is proved. But then Peter goes on. We're just at verse 22, so we're going to be here about another four hours after (laughs) I just exposited one passage. Um, (laughs) But Cliff notes, then he goes on to prove how Jesus was the promised Messiah, that all the prophecies gathered around him to say that Jesus was the one. He was it, the true Messiah. To talk about this, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the chance I had to do chapel this past week at Illinois Lutheran Schools. And I love chapel. For me, there is almost nothing better than, than children who sing Jesus' praises. That's awesome. And um, there while I was at chapel, I got to talk about one of my favorite things. Does anyone want to guess what one of my favorite things is? Cars? That's close. Donuts, my friend. Donuts. And, um, <laughs> and so there we were. And the point that I was trying to make is that Jesus is it. Jesus is so much better than anything else. And so my analogy was that of this donut. It's a chestnut glazed donut from the donut vault. And my friends, you can experience this. It's right across from the merchandise mart. And, 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 and here's the donut vault. It's about three size the times of a regular donut. And the glaze is fantastic. It is pillowy fried culinary wizardry. I mean, it is everything you want and more. And the point is that after you have a chestnut glazed donut from the donut vault, you don't want anything else. It is it, my friends. Um, Boston cream from Dunkin' Donuts isn't as good anymore. This is it, so far superior above any other else. Well, Peter didn't talk about donuts, but he said the same thing. He said Jesus is it. He is so far above everything else. He is the promised one. And what I love is verse 24. This is the one that just pumped me up. It says, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible, impossible for death to keep its hold on him. How can anything render Jesus powerless when he holds all power? Because he is the one. And this is a tangent. If there's anything in your life right now that you think is impossible, God can't do that. I'm here to tell you God who walked on water can work it out in your life. God who rose from the dead can use His power on your behalf. He is the one, my friends. Salvation is found in no other name, for there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Peter said He's the one. And that's the message. I tell you, there is one who came for you. There is one who lived for you. There is one who died for you. And then he rose. All to prove he was the one. I heard a great analogy about the resurrection. He said that if 
Jesus died on the cross on Good Friday, he wrote the check. But the resurrection was the bank statement saying the check had cleared. The check's cleared for you and for me. I don't know what you came for today, but I came for a resurrected Lord. I came to know that I'm forgiven and loved by the one who conquered death and can conquer anything in my life. He is the one. But then he builds them all up. After proving how good Jesus is, better than a chestnut glazed donut, after proving his worthiness, his awesomeness, that he is the Messiah, he builds them up for a dramatic confrontation. Look at the confrontation in verse 36. This one who is so great, so far above others, he says, but therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. In the Greek, the words were even more clear. He, he built it up this way. He said, the Lord, the Messiah, whom was from God, Jesus, you crucified. That was the word order. He left them hanging saying, this one, better than a chestnut glaze, this one above every other, you crucified. I think the technical word is busted. We know what busted is, don't we? This past week, if you were listening to the news, there was a case of busted going on. Anyone hear stories of this man? How atrocious. What ridiculous words. Hateful, racist, and, and, and you couldn't escape if you were Donald Sterling, couldn't you? I mean, it was everywhere. And, and even more. I mean, his dirty laundry was everywhere. He was busted. And the verdict came down. I mean, Adam Silver, uh, now the... the famed uh, commissioner, uh, banned for life from NBA, $2.5 million fine. That's it. There was no escaping for Donald Sterling uh, this week. The same sense must have been over the whole crowd on Pentecost. When Peter said, you were there. Jesus who rose Lazarus and Lazarus said, you were there yelling, crucify. I heard you. I saw you. But Peter was convicting himself. Peter, who said, Jesus, I'm going to die with you rather than deny you, he would be the one who later would deny him. And so he says, I, I too have crucified him. Dear friends, we're busted. We're busted. Because even though it's 2,000 years later, you and I were the cause of Jesus' death. It was our sin. I'm not sure what sin you struggle with. I know it's there. We're not perfect. For me, you could pick any one of the Ten Commandments and at one point or another, I failed. Why did I do that? Why did I say that? And so Peter says to me, you crucified him. And I'm here to say to you, you crucified him. We all did. And the sad part of the story is that we deserve none of God's love. We deserve eternal punishment. And that should be it for us. But that's not where Peter leaves him. When they ask, okay, I'm busted, what, what can I now do? What are Peter's words of hope? Let's look at them. Verse 38, he says, okay, now that you know, now that you're there, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
This promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And so Peter says, in the case of Busted, it's not about you making a $2.5 million payment. It's not about you bettering yourself. It's not about proving yourself worthy of the one who is above all. Peter just says, repent, be baptized, and you will receive forgiveness, the releasing of all that guilt and all that shame. Let's talk about repentance. You know, I was uh, having an interesting dinner table conversation with my daughter, Bella. It's amazing what she's bringing to the dinner table. This is a tangent, but she's talking about revelation. This past week, she wanted to know what was the beast of the earth and the beast of the sea. And I'm like, you're in second grade. I, I, need, a, I need a thesaurus to figure that one out. But okay, let's dive there. We'll, we'll get into it. Um, well, that was just one question. She asked another profound question. She, she said, Daddy, on Good Friday... Were people sad or were they happy? And then she said, on Good Friday, should we have been sad or should we be happy? That's pretty profound, right? Well, does anyone know the answer? What is the answer? Should we be sad or should we be happy? It's a trick. Yep, happy overall, but I'm going to say both. I'm going to say both. So I told her, Bella, we can be sad because there we see what our sins deserve. There we see the one who loved us first and best suffering. Surely there is sadness. But there is happiness. Because there we see that all our sins are paid. Once for all. Guilt is released. Forgiveness is made possible through the cross. And if there is a feeling that should predominate, it's the song on the radio that Pharrell sings, we should be happy. Like a room without a roof. Because happiness is the truth. We should be happy. This is the story of Jesus. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he says, you're forgiven and I'm forgiven. You're released of all your guilt. You're released as much as your, your hearts were pierced. You are happy. You are forgiven. And this is no take backs, no erases. It's true. You are forgiven. And so we can be happy. And that's part of repentance, my friends. What is repentance? Repentance has both. It has, I am sorry that Jesus had to endure that, but I am happy that he did because I'm forgiven. But there's more. Repentance has one final part of it. Reminds me of our financial peace class. During financial peace, there was a man who got up and he said, you know, when I grew up, I was taught never to hate anyone. And that's really good advice. Um, God looks down. He sent his son for everyone. So he said, I, I never hate anyone. But then he went on, but, but I give you liberty to hate something. And what was the something we were given liberty to hate? Debt. Debt. Exactly. And so you can hate debt, and because it has no feelings, that, that's all right. Hate debt. That's fine. I wanted you to give liberty uh, to hate something this morning. What can we hate now that we've been forgiven through Jesus? Um, what, what are we at liberty to hate? It is it's sin. And so we say with the psalmist, true repentance is this, that I hate every wrong path. I am disgusted by what I did. I don't want it anymore. I was talking to another leader of the church this past week, and we were just saying what a privilege it is to serve, but how it's sometimes scary because I'm not made perfect yet. And that means if I sin and when I sin, it's going to affect people. And that breaks our hearts. And there was this resounding feeling that I don't want to do that. I don't want to impede anyone's path to God. 
that God would do that. I want to turn from that. I want, that makes me vomit. I hate that. I hate it not only because of what it does to others, I hate it because of what it caused Jesus. If my Jesus had to die because of my sin, I want no part of it. That one who is good and stands over all, I want nothing to do with it. I want to run from it like the plague because He was so good to me. It's a good picture of repentance. Repentance is literally running from something to something. I remember watching Lord of the Rings and I think there was a, a thing where uh, the hobbits were going to go get the enemy and they were charging. And uh, the hobbits go and they go and they go and then they see the enemy. And they're like, uh-uh. <laughs> Can't do it. <laughs> retreat, retreat, retreat. That might seem cowardly, but that's the best thing to do when it comes to sin. If you want to charge into it and you see it, it's going to eat you up. And better, much better, my friends, is to say, uh-uh, I'm not doing this. Jesus over there, I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. He's going to keep me safe. I won't fall if I run away. That's what you and I are empowered to do. Repentance is saying, I, I don't want any part of the enemy. He's got me before, he'll get me again. I want every part of Jesus. Because he holds me. Because he assures me of peace. Because he rose from the dead. Dear friends, this was a great message. It's a message that still applies to us today, that Jesus was proved. That Jesus is the one above all. And that following Jesus means a life of repentance. May God so bless us. As we close, can I pray for us? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that Jesus proved himself through the resurrection. And I ask you through the power of the Holy Spirit to prove him in my heart. He is my Savior and my God. He is the one who paid my death. Let me now turn from any and all sin, forsaking all to follow you. Let me live in the joy and peace of forgiveness. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. I invite you to please stand.